Welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm David Brody. It is Tuesday, December 22nd, 2020. We begin tonight with an exclusive story that JustTheNews.com broke earlier today. New records show that the cybersecurity agency that is tasked with keeping our elections safe was actually rated low on security issues related to this election. Now, remember, it was the agency's director, Christopher Krebs, who said this was the most secure election in history. Trump fired him, but maybe Trump knew something we all didn't. We're going to have more on that in a moment. Plus, what will be President Trump's latest move when it comes to the alleged election fraud? Did someone just say Insurrection Act? All right, slow down. We'll explore all of that in a moment. And how to handle the family political arguments this this Christmas. Who are these people on the set, by the way? You know they're coming. An expert is going to have some advice. I don't want to get in the way of this. Uh, So you don't have this in front of, anyhow, they're very frustrated. They're going to need Excedrin and Tums during this holiday season. But first, our top story, uh, justthenews.com has new information on internal records looking at election cyberspace security. And just the new CEO and editor-in-chief, John Solomon, here uh, with the story that you broke earlier today. John, take take us through it here. Yeah, so if you remember after uh, President Trump fired Chris Krebs, uh, he was kind of deified by the uh, media. It was the entire nation's national security is at risk because the director of this office called CISA uh, had gotten fired. And it was that normal blathering that goes on in the media these days. Right. And nobody had actually taken a look and seen How's this guy doing? Mm-hmm. How is the agency doing? So I decided to go through all of the inspector general's reports at the Homeland mm-hmm. Security Department. CISA was one of the main agencies in, in Homeland Security. It turns out that the inspector general wasn't giving very good grades to Chris Kreb or, Krebs or his team. Mm-hmm. In fact, of all the agencies they audited for information security in mm-hmm. 2019, CISA got the lowest score. It got four ones, which is the bottom out of six scores where our agencies like Customs and Border Patrol and ICE, which have other jobs like protecting us at the border, catching bad guys, they had really high scores on information security. So the guy who was supposed to be leading the effort, his agency got a bad score. But the most shocking thing, (laughs) as you noted in your opening, uh, Chris Krebs said this was the most secure election in American history. That may be true from a cybersecurity standpoint. There were a lot of provisions put in, but it wasn't a perfect election. And the Homeland Security Director, uh, Inspector General, at the very end of the election warned, hey, they put a lot of focus on software intrusions and they didn't look at physical security big blind spot here Chris Krebs wrote a letter saying why did you have to release this just before the election couldn't you save it after the election no one picked up on this so when he was getting deified no one was looking at his performance Uh, there is a lot of problems with this agency that he's now been fired from well that's interesting I want to play a little bit of Christopher Krebs from the other day when he was uh, in front of Ron Johnson and uh, the Homeland Security subcommittee there Uh, let's uh, have a listen to Chris Krebs in conclusion, because of these and other efforts, on November 12, 2020, government and industry representatives from the election security community issued a joint statement reflecting a consensus perspective that the 2020 election was the most secure in U.S. history. That statement reflects the confidence these officials gained based on years of work poured into improving the security and resilience of our elections. It was based on the strong operational relationships developed across the election security community. It was based on the tremendous partnership between CISA, under the thoughtful guidance of this committee, the FBI, the Election Assistance Commission, the Department of Defense, and the intelligence community. It was based on an intimate understanding of how our elections work here in the U.S. It was based on the increase in paper ballots and audits across the nation, and probably most importantly, It was based on the professionals, the heroes that conduct elections in this country. 
While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. Of that, I have no doubt. I mean, look, uh, he wasn't those inspector general reports, uh, you know, yeah. painting a much different picture than what we just heard. They do. And I think, uh, but let's, let's keep in mind what he was saying here, because Ron right. Johnson followed up a little bit later in the uh, hearing. And he said, when you call this the most secure, were you talking about fraud? Like, could we, we talking about you prevented ballot bo box stuffing? No, 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 no. I'm talking about foreign intrusions of election. He was making systems. the delineation. So it was a very narrow proclamation. Now, I think everything he said in that statement is probably true. Mm -hmm. We did do a lot better. We did increase the number of ballot audits, uh, paper ballot audits. They created a paper trail. But the, 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 the thing that still remains true is that we had election observers tossed out. Not a doubt. Mm -hmm. Election observers have always been one of our main security checkpoints for a fair election. Mm -hmm. We had people like Jesse Jacobs, who we talked about in the show previously, mm -hmm. a Detroit poll worker who said uh, emphatically, I was instructed to falsify ballots for weeks, including the day after the election. Mm -hmm. We had many other people talk about mysterious truckloads of ballots coming in the night and vote cha totals changing. None of that was what Chris Krebs was talking about. And he acknowledged that wasn't in his purview. Mm -hmm. He's talking about keeping the Russians, the Chinese, and other people from changing the vote totals. Mm -hmm. I think everything he said is true, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean this election was that secure. And one of the things that the Homeland Security IG really focused on was a lack of actionable intelligence. That one of the things, we created this system where we can send a local election officials lots of information, but what the IG said is most of what Krebs agency was sending wasn't very useful. It was hmm. not the sort of stuff that gives you a chance to stop an attack in, in, uh, in advance. Mm -hmm. And when you think about election, Chris Krebs also had another responsibility, and that was to keep most civilian federal agencies free of hacking. Mm -hmm. And right after his termination, what did we learn? For nine months, the U.S. government was unaware that Russian hackers were trolling their way through our entire government system and many private sector systems. It's exactly the sort of weakness that the IG was raising his hand about in September and October, just before Chris Krebs became famous. So that's really the bigger issue here it as is. it relates to what, where this story regarding Russia and the interference and all of the cybersecurity hacks go. Yeah, I, I had Senator Ron Johnson on my podcast today, earlier today, and he mm -hmm. said, listen, Krebs got a great audience. He got a lot of ad adulation in the media. If I were him after reading these IG reports, I think I'd lay low for a few weeks. <laughs> I wouldn't surface anytime soon. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we may have stopped some foreign intrusion into our election and allowed the largest intrusion of American government data in, uh, we've ever seen. People are calling it the Pearl Harbor of cyber attacks. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we don't have a lot to be proud about what CISA did. May have done some good things in the election, narrowly, mm -hmm. but we've got a much bigger insecure government monstrosity of computer networks that clearly were just penetrated and we don't know even how completely. You know, I think one question the viewers may have, because you do a lot of investigative work for obviously decades now. Yeah. You're at the top I'm of- I'm old. <laughs> I just dated you. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's, it's all true. <laughs> but, but, but I guess people are curious as to how you um, go about some of this detective work, if you yeah. will. You know, what, what's the process? H how does this actually work to get these IG reports and how laborious is it and all that? Because I think, you know, people are just fascinated at, at, at the information that you bring to the table yeah. uh, consistently. I learned a long time ago, for every famous person on television, right, every high-profile person, there are 10, 100, 300 people that know something about that that never get into the, the daylight. And so when I start huh. to hear Krebs, 
and and you know it sounded like he you know, got a pretty good reception from the hearing and then i heard about the cyber attack like isn't this the same agency it's supposed to stop it so i started calling around i started to call the inspector generals and oversight people in congress they're like oh you know krebs has a lot of the agency had a lot of problems under his tenure no one's focused on that and then i started going to the website and putting in search terms like sisa and krebs and cybersecurity, and boom 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 all these reports came up i read them all and then i started to put a story together and call people and talk to people it's old-fashioned gumshoe work it's not anything different that you know street reporters did 35 years ago when when we had newspapers in the local market uh, you got to dig, you got to talk to people, you got to learn, and you got to be fair and honest about it. This is what's true. This is what's not true. And uh, here are the concerns that you should have. You know, what's interesting to me, the parallel I see between his statement, Krebs' statement, saying this is the most secure election in American history or in election history, uh, and the media just took it and just that that was it that was just like end of conversation yeah. it's kind of the same thing they're doing with the election fraud story i put that in air yeah. quotes because whatever this t right. turns out i mean it, they're blanket statements and there's no googling there's no, no. Uh, searching what you're what you're talking about it's just they're taking it uh as is when i was a very young reporter and i came here in 1990 to washington dc a uh wisconsin senator had just retired a guy named bill proxmire he was famous huh. he did the golden fleece award every week that highlighted some form of government waste. And he would say to me, journalism is really about one thing, curiosity. The second you lose your curiosity, you stop being a journalist. And I think, and I, I remember meeting him in this little cubby in, in Congress. He had just retired. And that has echoed in my mind all along. You always have to be curious. After 9-11, when everybody kept saying we were sucker punched, we didn't see it coming, mm -hmm. I reported in the complete opposite direction and proved that the Bush administration missed some pretty major signs that this terror attack was imminent. Mm -hmm. You got to have that curiosity. You got to be willing to run against the grain. Too many of my our colleagues stay in the industry want to all row in one direction. They're kind of a club. Mm -hmm. And as a result, I think they miss really important stories that deserve the American public. Uh, as we move forward on the cybersecurity story and uh, what's happening with Russia and the hack and everything, how deep and wide this is. Where is the story going exactly? Because, you know, there seems to be a lot of other shoes to drop here. There are. Listen, there are going to be vulnerabilities uh, discovered for weeks uh, into the new year. Then there'll be hearings and oversight because we have to learn from this. Just like we learned 9-11, how we were going to tighten up the ship so we didn't get sucker punched again by terrorists. We have to learn from this. I think the hearings in Congress, the new Homeland Security chief, whoever that's going to be, the new SISA chief, they got to take control of this mess, ensure, ensure the American people. Next time we put our banking information in, next time we make a tax payment to the government, next time a federal employee fills out his application, that Russia can't get their hands on it this easily as they did this time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big undertaking. There's a lot of trust that has to be built. I don't think the American people yet know how extensive this is. Mm -hmm. And when they do, it's going to be very scary. And the next leaders are going to have to come in fix it, learn from it, and then communicate how we get better from it. You think there'll be, uh, uh, regarding Democrats and Republicans in terms of who controls the Senate, do you think it'll be uh, about the same in terms of getting after this, or do you think there might be a little lax? You uh, know, I, I mean, think this is an issue that um, exceeds par politics. There are okay. some things that just sometimes, there are not many of them left in Congress. Yeah. I think this is one that's so devastating that affects so many people, left, right, center, that I think they'll rise above it and really try to figure it. Uh, if it is a Biden presidency, the Biden presidency won't have any stake in what happened mm -hmm. under Trump, and the Republicans will be focused on future protection, I think they can come together and do the right thing. That's right. Well, the intelligence community is supposed to be, I mean, one of above the last... Politics. Above politics. Yeah. yeah, and then Adam Schiff and everyone. Well, don't get me started. Yeah, exactly. All right, John Salt. <laughs> Good, Good to be here today. Thanks. All right, when we come back, uh, more on uh, the election fraud allegations. Jordan Sekulow, one of the uh, president's lawyers, will be here to kind of 
get into that, what's happening in Pennsylvania and the Supreme Court, and also the Insurrection Act. What's up with that? We're hearing a lot of talk. Back in a moment. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Look, we've been doing it constantly since November 3rd, bringing you the latest on election fraud allegations. Uh, The mainstream media won't cover it. And guess what? So what? We will. And so that's the bottom line. Let's bring in Jordan Sekulow with the ACLJ and uh, one of the lawyers on President Trump's team. Hey, uh, Jordan, thanks for being back on the show. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me, David. Absolutely. Hey, uh, this uh, Supreme Court situation, uh, the Pennsylvania case, uh, what, what, what can you tell us? Uh, what, what are some of the chances there? Because you have to hope that the Supreme Court at least hears the case. But uh, what are the chances of that? So, so first I would go to Justice Alito. He is uh, in charge of that circuit and in Pennsylvania. And so this would, again, it's a very similar challenge to what was brought in the four-state challenge. The difference here, of course, is that uh, parties are somewhat different. Uh, so this is, an, as Mayor Giuliani said, the, the entire, that, that Texas case was thrown out on standing. So the parties are different. Uh, can you overcome a standing hurdle? Or, and, and even before that, do you get to a point where Justice Alito, or maybe he refers it to the full court, uh, orders briefing? That's really the first big hurdle. Does he want any kind of response uh, from uh, the state of Pennsylvania? That's the first thing to look for. If uh, if no response, uh, then it's not going to go very far. But what? It, but if there is a response, and if it does go any further, then I think the same model will be used. It may be different claims of illegal activity. These aren't focused on fraud as much as it is the state Supreme Court there uh, acting in the place of the legislature when Article 2 of our U.S. Constitution says the legislature must act and and determine how the elections will be conducted, whether or not it was signature verification, whether it was not blank absentee ballot addresses, blank blank, uh, dates that were accepted as good. Uh, We still have a stay at the U.S. Supreme Court right now on all the late arriving Mail-in ballots, uh, those were not allowed to be counted yet, uh, and that was because of Justice Alito, so that stay is still in effect. Uh, it wasn't outcome determinative for the state of Pennsylvania. There weren't enough to where it would have changed the outcome there uh, based off that those numbers, but that's what to look for in Pennsylvania. Do we, do we actually get a ask from either Justice Alito or the entire court for a response from the state of Pennsylvania? That is the first hurdle, right. but it's a new attempt at getting past the, really the standing issue. Jordan, I want to ask you, uh, th- this is divided magination a little bit of this insurrection act we've heard so much about. Yeah. Uh, and, and look, we had Jenna Ellis on the program yesterday, and she said she would advise the president not to do it. I mean, don't don't invoke it. Yeah. She said, that, you know, let's go the constitutional route. I, just to inform our viewers, I want to read what the insurrection act says. So just bear with me. Uh, here's what it says. Yep. Whenever the president considers that unlawful obstructions, combinations or assemblages of 
or rebellion against the authority of the United States, make it impractical, or excuse me, impractical uh, to enforce the laws of the United States in any state by the ordinary course of judicial proceedings, he may call into federal service such of the militia or any state and use such of the armed forces as he considers necessary to enforce those laws or to suppress the rebellion. Uh, this idea that, in essence, this election has been a rebellion uh, against, uh, let's face it, uh, his, his administration and the rule of law. What, what's your take on, yeah. on this? Well, I, I have a, I, I really am, I'm proud of Jenna Ellis for speaking out. She's been, a, yeah. I mean, how can you question how strong of a supporter she's been for President Trump? She's taken so much criticism as many of us have. Uh, and we're all attorneys for the president in different ways and we all advise him uh, in different ways. I would not get out ahead and tell, you know, tell you what I would, how I would advise the president specifically. Uh, uh, we're working on some other issues for him right now, but I would look to what Mayor Giuliani said, who has been advising him like, like, uh, uh, in the same way as Jenna Ellis on these specific challenges that have been more difficult in the courts. Um, you know, kind of similar to the first round with Sidney Powell, who I really respect as an attorney, and I don't like the attacks right. that have been going on against her either, because I think she's just sick of the system after, and so is Mike Flynn, after being dragged through that, losing his home, his son being threatened, millions of dollars in legal yep. fees. I mean, come on, no wonder you'd be angry. But uh, I do think that Mayor Giuliani's statement spoke a lot of truth. And uh, when the mayor speaks, I think people should listen. And, and he said, you know, in, in no way is Sidney Powell playing any role. Uh, now, could the president change his, his mind on that tomorrow, today? Sure. Uh, but it seems like after all those rounds of meetings and all of the, you know, tough discussions, at this point, that's not the route it seems the president is taking. Uh, I, I, but, but again, um, I would never get out ahead of the president or tell you he's what definitely doing or not doing uh, because I knew that, you know, we all know as of yesterday, these discussions uh, may have still been ongoing uh, with uh, that. It was a report. Someone was telling the press that uh, wasn't us. And I think also Pat Cipollone got a lot of attacks and that was just totally yeah. wrong again, too. He's a White House counsel. He's not leaking to hurt this president. All of us who represent the president and we still do, you know, I, I, get, I get a lot of the attacks. I've been getting them longer than Jenna Ellis, uh, uh, but uh, <laughs> but I get a lot of the attacks too, calling you know even words like traitor, because uh, we're not endorsing you know a, a martial law necessarily, or we're not advising the president uh, uh, necessarily to do that one way or the other. But I will tell everybody this who's listening: uh, if we thought that was appropriate, and, and even if if we thought it was appropriate. I wouldn't come out here and tell you what we were going to advise or not advise until the president made his decision, and then I would tell you why. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what you do as an attorney. And I think that this idea that you know we're traitors if we say this, we're traitors if we say that, this is – I understand the frustration. Listen, I understand the frustration because I see now what the Georgia Secretary of State is doing to try and protect the runoff elections there, and yet he wouldn't do that in the general election. wasn't prepared for it then. Yeah, I was just about to ask you about Georgia. I got less than a minute left, but uh, yeah. what, what's going on with Brian Kemp? What, no one has yet to explain to me why in the world he just won't step up and do what he needs to do. Well, no, he's not. But the Georgia Secretary of State's done two things. One, he's going to have a statewide audit of signature verifications by an outside party, the University of Georgia forensics team, so nonpartisan of all 
mail-in, quote, absentee ballots. They don't have mail-in ballots technically in this runoff. Uh, but second, he's got the GBI involved. That's the state FBI. He's also got uh, local police involved watching ballot drop boxes to make sure that people dropping off ballots are, are people that live in Georgia. And third, he has said that they've already identified 8,000 people they're questioning who have requested absentee ballots who do not appear to be citizens of Georgia anymore. Some may be military, some may be people who, they may not be all criminals, but they're, 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 they're questioning them now. And he has warned that everyone they find like that, if they are if they try to vote, and put in their ballot, uh, and they, they they identify it, they will face a felony, yeah. uh, and there'll be an easy conviction up to uh, 10 years in prison and a $100,000 fine. So right. for Democrats out there thinking about that, think about whether or not you want to be a felon for life. What concerns me, David, is yeah, not the identifying 8,000, but how is he going to identify 800,000? Like Fair enough. Jordan Seculo, great to see you, sir. Thanks for being so uh, brutally honest. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. All right. Uh, back in a moment with Eric Metaxas. Uh, speaking about being brutally honest, he's taken a few slings and arrows for what he said. Back in a moment. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Look, if you are a fan of Donald Trump, uh, you have been chastised and ridiculed galore. If you're an evangelical fan of Donald Trump, hey, uh, that's a whole other level. And we're going to talk to uh, one of the prominent supporters of Donald Trump. He's an evangelical and you know him well. He's a friend of the show, Eric Metaxas, uh, with the Eric Metaxas radio show, uh, which can be heard and seen all across the country. Eric, uh, always great to have you back on the show, sir. My privilege. Thanks for having me. Well, Eric, let's start. Uh, let's just get right into it. Uh, th this criticism, the, the the, the folks are taking aim at you. There are specific Christians that are taking aim at you, which is uh, kind of sad to see. Let me read you something. And I want to get your reaction to this. this is from the Washington Post. So shockingly, Michael Gerson, uh, and don't get me started on Michael Gerson, but anyhow, he says, uh, this is what he writes. There is something pathetic about Metaxas's panting desire to be cruise director on Trump's sinking ship, but I don't think his attitude is merely the result of ambition or hero worship. Metaxas seems to be a man in the grip of a powerful delusion, and this ends up feeding doubts about religion itself. I, I tell you what, this is the wing of evangelical Christianity. It's that kind of moderate center left, uh, highbrow intellectual wing. And they don't like that. I think they're threatened by you, Eric. My take is because you're an intellectual evangelical Christian and they think that you've gone off the deep end or something like that. Mike Gerson knows I'm slightly more intelligent than he is, and he's very bitter about it. Let me just say this. Uh, if Mike Gerson cares about the state of, of Christianity uh, in America today, the best thing he could do personally is come out as a Buddhist or as some kind of pagan or atheist because his tone is so consistently sour, uh, so unpleasant that I, can, I cannot read what he writes. I, I, I have no doubt that he's sincere, but he's so sincere 
that I find it fatiguing. I cannot, I cannot take him seriously. He is someone, I don't want to attack people personally, but I will just say that uh, I don't think he or Pete Weiner or any of the folks who are writing along these lines are, are doing anything or even saying anything worth listening to. In other words, I don't hear arguments. I don't hear logic. I hear name calling, right? What is he saying there except Eric Metaxas is an idiot or, so, or something yeah, like right, that? Right. Really an argument. Uh, I think that there's an infinity of arguments to say that he's quite wrong. But folks like this, they're very angry uh, and bitter. He, as I say, comes across as increasingly sour. That's not an argument. Uh, the fact of the matter is that those of us who have faith um, have been forceful in our defense of the president, not because we suddenly changed our opinion of adultery or any of the things that these, in other words, the, their arguments are so sloppy that we're even forced to, to, to answer them. It, 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 to me, it just gets silly. Uh, yeah. They don't seem to understand some basic things or they are, they, they've never really cared about argument. It's, it's all about kind of posturing and who's the group that you're in with and out with. And if you want to be part of the beltway and you want to get published in the Washington post, you have to be really, really careful to know that every smart person despises Trump because he's Hitler 2.0. Most people in America don't feel that way. Most yeah. people in the world don't feel that way. So I, I never take folks like that seriously. I, yeah. I simply can't, it would be, it would be even more fatiguing than to hear them mentioned once in a while by people like you. Well, Eric, the tens of millions of evangelical Christians are, are support this president. They're they're in search of the truth, as are you. So so what is your take as we move forward here into January 6th and, and beyond? Uh, because there's been talk about uh, the Insurrection Act. There's talk about martial law. We had Jenna Ellis on the show the other day. She says, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing that. It should be from a constitutional perspective in state legislatures. What, what's your take on all this? Nobody, nobody uh, is seriously talking about the Insurrection Act or martial law at this point. I, I really think that that, okay. th again, this is what folks like Gerson or others will do. They'll raise the boogeyman of Trump, the dictator who wants to suspend habeas corpus, you know, just like the dictator Lincoln once did during a time of crisis. It, it's just, it's stupid. I think there's a couple things to be said. First of all, uh, I do think Trump will be uh, inaugurated, uh, but I'll tell you why I think that. It has less to do with the various paths to victory than with the fact that enough Americans, and I mean scores of millions of Americans, are convinced this was not a normal or a fair election. You cannot in the United States of America, uh, apart from your political feelings, you cannot in America proceed when the people aren't convinced that you've had a fair election and the evidence continues to mount and the people who say, where's the evidence continue to say, where's the evidence? They can say that all day long. The fact is there's enough evidence that more and more Americans are saying, wait a second, we do not want to proceed this way. I mean, it's actually an affront would be a nice word. Uh, it's a deep offense. Uh, it's a despicable thing that anyone in America would do something as foul and as anti-American, as genuinely fascist, as totalitarian, as try to steal an election or monkey with an election. So even if you have any hints that that happened, you've got to go after that with the full force of the law. And my attitude is I will never, until I am convinced 
that we as a country have done that. I will never back down. There are many millions of Americans who won't back down. And what are we asking for? That we get our way? No, we are asking for transparency. We are asking that people account for all of the irregularities. Help us feel better about this. I don't think they can, which is, I think, why they're being silent. And we we will not allow this in America. We simply won't. Eric, I've got about 30 seconds, but I just want to understand, because you say you think he'll be inaugurated. How, how does he get there, though? I mean, how, how does this work if every door seems to be closing? What, is well, there, there are a number of ways he can get there, so we don't have time to go into it. But right. I, I've talked to many people on my, on my program you can watch on YouTube. There's a ton of different ways to get there. But my attitude is, even if it's impossible to get there in the given time or whatever, I, I don't think we as a nation are allowed constitutionally to proceed when most of the nation, we the people, we are the government, aren't convinced that there wasn't fraud, that there wasn't, that there weren't nefarious players. Remember, we're in a strange time when we have heard for four years from the media about Russia collusion. When the Hunter Biden laptop stuff came up, the, the media all said it's Russian disinformation. America no longer takes the media, the mainstream media, seriously at all. Whatever they say is irrelevant. We're going to have to go uh, with the Constitution. Eric Metaxas, we'd love to have you back on. Just always a great insight. Really appreciate your time, Eric. Thank you. Love being here anytime. All right. The Eric Metaxas Radio Show, seen all across the country on YouTube. It is a great listen and view, if you will, because it's up there on YouTube. And uh, boy, I tell you what, talk about the whole kit and caboodle, intellect, humor, insight, back in a moment. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Hey, uh, Christmas just around the corner. Uh, get ready. Family arguments. Isn't that a wonderful time? No, come on. I mean, Jesus is the reason for the season, right? Can you imagine uh, the Apostle Paul and Luke getting into a shouting match over politics? You know, Luke's got the uh, Biden-Harris sign in his room or his front yard, and, like, the Apostle Paul's got a MAGA hat. Come on, none of that's going to happen. Let, let's be nice and civil to each other. All right, to discuss all of this, I want to bring in Dr. Jeff Myers. He's the president of Summit Ministries. He's also the author of the book called 20 Things to Say and Do to Fight Cancel Culture, a Practical Guide for Communicating. Uh, Dr. Myers, uh, great to have you on the show. Thanks, David. I, uh, Merry Christmas to you. And I just have a feeling that for some families, this is going to be the most awkward Christmas ever. (laughs) COVID is political. Politics are political. Football is political. You can't even watch the game without it being political anymore. No, you're 100% right. So then the question is, uh, you know, what do you do? Because, you know, leftists are calling for Trump supporters to be censured or deprogrammed. I mean, this is the type of stuff you're talking about in the book. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, what, what, what you do in those situations. Well, I, I did write this uh, ebook on cancel culture, and if somebody goes to summit.org and just goes to the press room, they can find a way to get a copy of it. It's free. But in the book, I, I share that 77% of Republicans and 52% of Democrats say they have opinions they are afraid to share because of being shamed or the possibility of losing their job. So what we've got now is a culture where we have free speech in the Constitution, but the truth is 
that people would rather shame one another than really dialogue with one another. And because I work with young adults, 16 to 25 at Summit Ministries, helping them get ready to deal with their university professors, some of the things that we talk about with those students can also work for you in a helpful way around the Christmas table. So what, what are some strategies that you can specifically do? I mean, how do you kind of avoid, or are you wanting to avoid, is it about avoiding the fight, I guess, or is it more just about ways that you handle the conversations? Well, what it's about, especially at Christmas time, is building the relationship. Yeah. A lot of people, they, they, you know, they imagine that conflict is like this, two people butting heads. But the truth is, you know, the ancient philosophers saw conflict as two people walking alongside one another trying to discover the truth. And you do that by asking questions. So, for instance, you ask a question, what do you mean by that? If you've got a leftist cousin, that person may be talking about justice, liberty and law, but she's using a different dictionary. So you've got to ask the question, first of all, when you use the term justice, what do you mean? I had a conversation with a guy about God. He said, there is no God. And I asked him, what do you mean by God? And he said, oh, you know, the big grandfather figure in the sky throws lightning bolts down on people he doesn't like. And I thought, Zeus? You know, I, I don't believe in Zeus. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's really fun when you, when you just start with questions. It can create those lighthearted moments. You can laugh a little bit at yourselves. And, but then you realize, wait, we're learning and we're learning together. So that's really you know, we live in such a day and age where everybody is offended at everything. I mean, look at what's going on, right? The Cleveland Indians baseball team, right? They just caved to pressure. They're changing their name. Uh, the Washington football team. You can't say uh, the Redskins. I'm sorry. I'm just going to – I'm the Redskins. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to say anything negative, but you now, you know, you're, you're shamed into, into that. Uh, you know, so, so how – what do you do in those situations? Well, you know, those are corporations that rely on popularity for to, for making a lot of money. And so you can understand why if they think the popular consensus is against their name, they will do anything. You know, Apple would do the same thing. Any corporation would do that because their shareholders are going to come after them if they don't. I think it's a little bit of a different situation when we're around the table because we're giving our opinions about whether or not that was the right move or not. That's why it's, I think it's so important to ask questions. Yeah. And then, of course, as I said at the top, uh, and I, I know it's corny, but Jesus is the reason for the season. And, you know, I want you to speak a little bit to that, you know, this idea that, you know, Jesus wasn't a champion for social justice. Jesus wasn't uh, at an abortion clinic uh, holding up a pro-life sign. He was all of that. But, uh, you know, it, he, he's not about that. And, and I thought you might want to talk a little bit more about the, the importance, especially at this time of year, and what people need to take away from the Christmas uh, holiday. I never want to miss an opportunity to do that. I am not ashamed of this at all. Uh, the Jesus followers taught that Jesus was not only a, a good man and a good teacher. They taught that he was truth personally, that truth has come to us. And it's not a concept or a mathematical formula. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus. And that really is the heart of the message that we have at, at Christmas time. So when we do things that build relationships, when we do things that express love, all of that is, is a, an expression in our families of something that goes into our culture and allows us to connect hands with people going back 2,000 years who shared this precious belief. 
You know, uh, we call our show News with a Smile here at the Water Cooler. In other words, we are in search of the truth. We're trying to get to some informative and bottom lines on the news of the day. But at the same time, we try to do it with a smile. We try to, we try to not be in judgment of anybody. And I think that seems to be the same type of attitude you need to have going into this Christmas season. Uh, that doesn't mean you have to agree with people. That doesn't mean you have to give them a pass on things. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it's one thing to uh, be, maybe you need to be more proactive with kindness rather than antagonistic. I, I think you're right. And, and that's one of the reasons asking questions is so helpful. I mean, we, we teach actually five main questions to our students. What do you mean by that? Uh, how did you arrive at that conclusion? Let them give, let them tell their story a little bit. You think that's the whole story. I use that with the professors all the time when I was in college. They would make some blatant statement that oversimplifies an issue. And I just ask, you think that's the whole story? Instantly, my classmates would realize I'm the open-minded one. The professor's the closed-minded one. Mm-hmm. And it changed the, di- the nature of the dialogue. How do you know that is true is a good question. But I always leave somebody with something to dwell on, some kind of a pebble in their shoe, a question like, what happens if you're wrong? Because a lot of, you know, we all assume that we're right. We all hope that we're right. But if you're wrong, what are the consequences? Conversations keep going long after the conversations are over. And if we play them right, then we can really make people think about important things. Dr. Myers, a great point, not just on political issues, but of spiritual ones as well. If you're wrong on the spiritual question, that's the key question to get right, not wrong. So I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Dave. And Merry, Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas to all your leftist cousins as well, by the way. I, <laughs> I, I've got a few, by the way. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Dr. Myers. Uh, I love it. Uh, and trust me, I've got a few uh, leftist cousins. And by the way, I know I've invoked my mother and you know I love my mother. Well, you don't know that I love my mother, but trust me, I can confirm that I love my mother. There may be some leftist uh, ideology coming out, but still, I love her because Madison told me to say I love her. Back in a moment. (laughs) Welcome back to the water cooler. Water cooler, everybody. Time for the last sip. Uh, Hey, Christmas is just around the corner. Did you know Santa was a liberal? Or is a liberal? It's true. Uh, well, actually, we do have uh, some proof. Look at this New York Post headline. Uh, politically correct Santa tells crying kid he won't bring him Nerf gun. Basically, a mall Santa dropped the hammer on the little boy who asked him for a Nerf gun for Christmas, uh, telling the bowling kid he wouldn't bring him the toy. He says, no, sorry, guns not allowed in your household. That's, <laughs> that's Santa. i tell you what, boy, Santa, the anti-Second Amendment uh, Santa it made me wonder, you know, huh, uh, I wonder what other uh, kids, boys and girls are asking for this Christmas to the liberal Santa. Dad? Do you hear me? I hear you. <laughs> Can I have a Hess truck? A Hess truck? No, sorry. You can't have a Hess truck. You know what? It's just not environmentally sound, and AOC would just not be happy. So I'm going to have to give you the big no on that. Hmm. What else might little kids enjoy this Christmas? Daddy, can I have a Lego police set, please? A Lego police set? Of course not, little Johnny or Sarah or whoever you are. A Lego police set? No, no. We don't do that at Christmas. Absolutely not. I'm liberal Santa. You know about defund the police. Now, if you want a Black Lives Matter Lego set, we'll talk about it. 
But a defund the police, or defund the police, a, a police Lego set? No. What else do you have in mind? I really hope we have a Malibu Barbie house. A Malibu Barbie house. Now that, little Johnny or Sarah, you can definitely have that because you know why? It comes with the house and that means you have to stay inside. So why not? As long as you are inside your house and you never come out of the Malibu Barbie house, you can have that. What do you think of that? You stick. Well, sorry, but there you have it. A Malibu Barbie house complete with the house. And, a, and indeed, liberal Santa will grant that wish too. By the way, can we put the liberal Barbie up for a quick moment? I say the liberal Barbie. Can we put the Malibu Barbie up for a quick moment uh, with the house? If for some reason... People from down the neighborhood come into the Malibu Barbie house. They need to wear a mask and Barbie needs to wear a mask. So liberal Santa would then require Barbie to wear a mask. I'm just letting you know. All right. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, end of the show. Normally, Sophie would be here. Hey, it's a holiday week. She's not here. Daniel Payne's not here. Nick Bowsley's not here. Who's here? Just me and the camera. Kind of the way I like it, quite frankly, and narcissistically. By the way, I thought about bringing a camera home and a prompter just home to my, I don't know, living room. Uh, but my wife nicks that idea because just too much narcissism. Uh, but I do want to talk about uh, what's going on from a news perspective, because we are justthenews.com. The COVID relief bill uh, passed today. How about uh, Nancy and uh, Mitch McConnell? Uh, congratulations to both of those uh, folks. Uh, boy, they really uh, came through uh, in overtime, maybe double overtime. Actually, let's call it triple overtime. Th these folks are unbelievable. Uh, they, they literally had this uh, for about three, four months. They always wanted a better deal and a better deal, and eventually they had to just punt the whole thing down the road. But they got it done. Well, let's go through some of these um, uh, stats here. There'll be $120 billion in unemployment insurance, $166 billion in direct payments. You know that PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program? You got to be careful when you say that, by the way. Uh, $284 billion, $69 billion uh, for vaccines and testing, $82 billion for schools and universities, and it goes on and on. Child care, $10 billion, and all of that. Yeah, so bottom line is you'll get your stimulus check, $600 or so, uh, per family member, of course, you know, look, let's be honest. If I can just lean into the camera, if you're making a boatload of money, you ain't getting anything. All right. Just, just so you understand. But if you are, uh, I think, what is it, under $75,000 uh, a year, maybe 90000 it's a scale, then you'll get some money for you and your kids and all that. $600, uh, which Nancy Pelosi apparently thinks is a lot of money, but that's a whole other issue. Uh, hey, uh, one last uh, news item to pass along. And when I say it's a news item, uh, it's more analysis of a news item. You know, Jenna Ellis was on this show this past week and said she was not for the Insurrection Act. Uh, Jordan Seculo also not for the Insurrection Act. Now, then we have Sidney Powell, who's pushing Donald Trump. It seems to be in that direction. We're trying to get Sidney Powell uh, on the show to talk about that. So you've got two kind of competing schools of thought. So what's going on inside the Oval Office? Some of the sources I'm talking to are that it's all about uh, putting it all up against the wall. And in other words, uh, you know, just throw nothing. No idea is a bad idea. Just throw it out. Uh, and then we see where the president lands at the end of the day. And I have a feeling we're going to be getting some Christmas surprises here uh, in the next couple of days, definitely before the New Year's. And I'm not talking about pardons. I think you'll see some of that. But I also think you'll see something as it relates to the election fraud allegations that have been out there. All right, that does it for the show today. We'll see you again tomorrow on the show. 
Uh, who do we have on? Oh, uh, that's right, Newt Gingrich. How about that? See you tomorrow.